not going to be like with the girls having a glass of wine talking about Picasso. Like I'm talking about like who got bent over yesterday. Like that's way more interesting just objectively. Welcome to All My Friends Are English Majors, the podcast where I, a business major, talk about books with my friends who are pretty much all English majors. Um, and we're going to talk about popular lit. This month is women-specific dystopia month. And for that, the only choice was obviously my friend Lydia, who is on the pod with me now. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Tucker. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um... Lydia, tell tell us your credentials. Um, okay, so I was, um, even before I was an English major, I was one of those weird kids that always wanted to have sex with their English teachers. Um, <laughs> so I am very qualified to speak on um, books. And I also am a woman, and we are both currently living in a dystopia. So that gives us some added credentials as well. And I have a... Handmaid's Tale tattoo. So I'm really like you're talking to an expert here. On female specific dystopias and an English expert because she is yes. an English major. My first English major, guys. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah. So we're finally living up to the pod's name. <laughs> I also will say, like, I think the conversations that we'll have will be like very interesting and a lot more like like English majory. I'm excited to learn from Lydia. Mm. Although last month was really fun with myths. I'm I'm ready to get taught words I don't know. And oh, not I just because I <laughs> Well, you put one in the outline that I don't know. Oh, slay. <laughs> so slay. And it's not just because I don't understand Greek. It's because I'm not an English major. Okay, so we read The Handmaid's Tale this week, which is a pretty famous book by Margaret Atwood. Um, I will say it is not really a, like, popular book talk book, partially because I don't think they like um, good books. Yeah, it's not... It's not hard and fast enough for the book talkers, I think. No, it's not, because every book that's popular on book talk that I've read, I have, like, devoured. And The Handmaid's Tale, I really want to, like, read slowly and savor the language. And, like, because there isn't really, like, a central, like, plot carrying you through, like, it doesn't follow that normal structure that they teach you, like, sophomore year of high school, where they're, like, intro, like, Build the story, climax, like descending action or whatever those words are. Like yeah. this doesn't really have is would you say there's a climax in this book? Um I don't know. I don't know if we would say that it's like a traditional climax. I mean, there's like definitely kind of like tensions meet a like point when you have um June who's um she's having sex with Nick and she's um, and all that stuff. And you kind of are like, is she going to get found out? And then towards the end, you know that she's getting picked up by the eye. So I I guess you you would say like the, the climax isn't, we don't even really see the climax, you know, it kind of like stops right before the climax of the story. Oh, leaves us hanging. 
very traditional feminist literature then to stop right yeah. before the climax. Stop. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, you really served it up for me on a platter. I did. I didn't even think about that. And I really be knowing all about not climaxing. (laughs) Okay. We are going to start by reading the back of the book, and we're going to talk about, like, whether or not we feel like it is the right way. Like, if it's a good description, if it's a bad description, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, offered as a handmaid in the Republic of Gilead, she may leave the home of the commander and his wife once a day to walk to food markets whose signs are now pictures instead of words because women are no longer allowed to read. She must lie on her back once a month and pray that the commander makes her pregnant because in an age of declining births, Offred and the other handmaids are valued only if their ovaries are viable. Offred can remember the years before when she lived and made love with her husband Luke, when she played with and protected her daughter, when she had a job, money of her own, and access to knowledge. But all of that is gone now. Funny, unexpected, horrifying, and altogether convincing, The Handmaid's Tale is at once scathing satire, dire warning, and tour de force. My So my first thought after reading the back of this book is that I'm not sure when this book is funny. Yeah. I can't think of a single time that I laughed out loud reading this book. <laughs> no, there's nothing really that makes you even smile. I do think maybe they are talking about, like, June's little, like, like, little asides in her head when she, like, is, like, noticing, like, humorous things and that she's, like, oh, yeah, even, like, in this new society where women are, like, downtrodden, like, men are still doing the same things, like. Right. Like, her just, like, her finding out about Jezebel's, like, she's, like, oh, this is funny. Like, of Mm -hmm. course this exists. This is ironic. But I would say that irony and like humor are different things because irony can be really I don't know maybe for me they're different things irony for yeah, me they are is can be really really devastating and so can humor I guess but the way that this book is ironic is like exclusively devastating and not humorous at all <laughs> to me personally no. no funny I think is the wrong word yeah I also think that, like, the back of the book does not do a great job of, like, explaining why the years before exist and why the years of now exist in terms of, like, like, in the age of declining births, like, I just, I wish there was, I kind of wish they mentioned the atomic event. Yeah. That, like, led to the birth rate decline, because I think that they do kind of even gloss over that, both in the book, and I don't think we'll talk about the show very much, but they also gloss over it in the show. They're really just like, oh, yeah, the colonies. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's not really any, like, like, I I am yearning for Margaret Atwood to do my favorite thing, which is they, like, put a little timeline in the front of the book, or a little family tree in the front of the book, or, like, a map oh, in fantasy. Yes. I would love to see, like, even if she had put entirely fake years on it, like, if it had been, like, 1980, this happened, 1985, this happened, like, just 
just a little bit more information, but I think part of that is because I am a little bit of a dummy. And so I, (laughs) I love when authors will really spell something out for me so that I can like get a better comprehension of like where we're at in the story. Yeah, that is one thing I struggle a lot with like science fiction is that they a lot of authors tend to just drop you in the middle of the world that they have built without any explanation of like what anything means or in this case um for the handmaid's tale like how we got to where we are now um which i guess like i think is maybe one of the criticisms of the book as a whole is that like obviously the the republic of gilead is 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 an extreme dystopia but um she doesn't always make specific connections between what the world before was and what specifically happened to get us to Gilead because, um, and that's something to criticize because the, like the, the foundations of Gilead like are in our society now and are based in like white supremacy and the patriarchy. And she doesn't really go that much into that of how like this could easily happen to a society she's just kind of like yeah this is like a very crazy sexist society and we're not going to be exploring like how that transition happened we're just like already there and i think that's part of people's complaints about this book from what i was reading on goodreads is they're like well because she doesn't tell us so one margaret atwood is obsessed with calling this book speculative fiction She, like, does not want it termed as science fiction. She really, really, like, firmly believes that, like, people need to understand that this could happen. Yeah. Like, okay. But a lot of people's complaints about that then is, like, if you're going to title it as speculative fiction, then, like, I need you to show me how it could happen. Exactly. Not just what, not what happened after the could, but, like, I want to see it all. Right. And she talks about it being speculative fiction. This could happen, but she, something that a lot of people recognize. And I think that even, um, Marge, (laughs) Marge acknowledged (laughs) herself is that like everything that's in this book has happened is currently happening or like will happen in the future. And so it's not really speculative. It's just kind of like a combination of every single terrible thing that a woman and just like put into one like imagine if imagine if neoliberal america was no longer a thing and we just um we just put every single like terrible terrible patriarchal thing into one one nation and we had no longer yeah. had the facade of freedom so mm, yeah what <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> dystopian that's the month yeah. it is the month Okay, so we are not going to go through the plot because this is a book that is written with a a split, like, disjointed timeline, which is one of my favorite, like, devices that an author can use to make a story interesting. I really love it. But Mm -hmm. it also means that, like, there's really no reason to, like, walk through the plots point by point because, um, like... It's not going to help you understand the book any better. So for the book, we're just going to talk about all of the things that make this book a special book, both in its merit as feminist literature and also, like, it's beautifully written. 
like yes, things like that. Book. So let's see. So should what we, do you? Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, should we do like a rundown of all of the like heavy hitter eco feminist things that she does, or is that just like even too? No, yeah, I want you to tell me what the difference between feminist lit and eco feminist lit lit is, and I want you to tell me what eco feminist lit is. Oh, perfect. Okay, I can do that. So, um, this is a great example of both feminist lit and eco feminist lit. I would say, in my opinion, that it's a better example of feminist literature than eco feminist literature because, um, the environmental concerns in my opinion are kind of in the background kind of like we just talked about like we don't really talk about the atomic event that much we're not talking that much about um why the birth rates declined um it's kind of like the 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 background rather than the foreground like the like environmental fallout is things that caused um this kind of poor treatment of women but it's not like necessarily in my opinion intricately connected with the poor treatment of women um so obviously we have a book that is um talking about like the extremes of patriarchy um women are being used only for their bodies um they're not allowed to read they're not allowed to have jobs um every single type of personal autonomy possible has been taken away from them and there's lots of things that they do or that margaret atwood does in the book that are like extremely um like she she's do she's really she's really um hidden up her symbolism and um biblical references um for example like aunt lydia is one of the women in the book who is in charge of like training the handmaids and making them submissive and making sure that they um are basically going to be breeders for the commanders and biblically um on or lydia the person of lydia was the seller of purple um she was the seller of valuable things so like literally we're um seeing a direct reference to um, Lydia as someone who is selling commodities. Women are commodities here in the most literal sense. Um, they're like, it, it reminds me of, I don't know if you have seen Mad Max, but um, Fury Road with um, Sharon mm-hmm. Theron. But that would be, oh, that would, sorry, this is just like an aside. That would be another really good example of ecofeminism because that book was, re- or that movie is really, really grounded in like ecological and environmental concerns and also how that kind of interacts with um, feminism. Oh my God, I forgot, I forgot what I was saying. But um, in both Mad Max and in The Handmaid's Tale, there's these kind of like almost images of women like cattle. Um, like in Mad Max, like women are like, some of the women are like literally strapped up to like machines that are like milking them. Um, like literally as if they're like cows in like mass agriculture. It's like really terrifying. Um, and that kind of like the, the, the environmental, like kind of degradation, the, the concern for like animals and the, like, it's, it's, it's interesting comparing how like in an environmental um collapse like women almost become like a sort of like mass agriculture if that makes sense 
Yes, that makes like sense. Like a form of corporatized agriculture because we're literally like reaping them for babies. Yes, that makes sense. But yeah, so that's the book in terms of it's like really heavy hitting feminist, um, feminist concerns. And one thing that Tuck mentioned that she wanted to talk about with this book is like how, um, what it's like studying it in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, which I've studied it in two different classrooms. I studied it in AP Lit when I was in high school, and I studied it in college in world literature. And I have to say, I did not enjoy really studying it in college. Um, and I think part of the reason why is because, like, when you're going to a liberal arts college um, and everybody is really kind of on the same page, especially in an English class, I think a lot of teachers or professors and a lot of students don't go that, like, don't go very far beyond saying, like, wow, this book really shows that sexual slavery is bad. Women are treated poorly. Like, there's so much (laughs) more to the book than that, but I feel like that's all people are like, wow, this is just a really good example of how the patriarchy is bad. (laughs) Like... Okay, let's think a little harder than that. The right, theme of the pod. The uh, like obviously the patriarchy is bad. Obviously, sexual slavery is bad. Like even the most like like rotting inside like fascist, I think would probably say like sexual slavery is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Probably. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to stop talking now because I think I've, like, derailed myself and I want us to um, get back to the point. No, I think that that all makes sense. I'm glad that we talked about what it's like to learn it in a class because, I don't know, this is probably one of the only books we're going to read for the pod that is, like, the kind of thing that, like, is going to be taught in schools. And so I think we should talk about some of the things that, like, maybe you wish it had been taught like, that you had discussed. Um, I'd love to know, like, if you guys talked about, like, June as an unreliable narrator, because in the book, we, like, literally see June rewriting the same scene, like, three or four times. Like, Mm -hmm. she'll be like, this is what happened. And then at the very end, she'll be like, that's not what happened. Here's what happened. And then she'll do it again. Like, are we to understand that, like, June is rewriting narratives, like, for her own like she's like like are we to understand that she's like going through something extremely traumatic I guess not even going through she is like her life is from now on going to be extremely traumatic and like her rewriting those histories in her mind like helps her or are we kind of supposed to like maybe see Gilead as potentially a little different than June's narration because she's proving herself to be an unreliable narrator. Yeah, and that's I I can't remember. I we definitely didn't talk about that when I was in college, um which is kind of a testament to the quality of um Truman State University's um academic rigor. LOL. But I do remember talking and writing about that a lot when I was in AP Lit about how and how the book is very much not even not just like a story like a straight up story but it's like it's a an artifact of this person who's going through a really traumatic thing and is using storytelling to cope with that 
Um, and it's especially powerful, I think, for me to think about that when we're, when we're considering the fact that she's not allowed to write. She's not allowed to read. She's not even really supposed to be speaking that much at all. Um, like everything that, that every single word that we're reading, um, in the book is like forbidden. Um, and she's using the storytelling to make sense of her situation. She's using the storytelling to, um, cope with the fact that she's like alone. She's not allowed to talk to anybody else. She's, you know, except for like Serena and the commander and she can't like frankly speak to them. And that's, I think for me, apart from the obvious, like, feminism is important and patriarchy is bad like obviously that's an important part of the book but for me the most engaging part of the book is the comments that Atwood is making on the power of language and the power of storytelling and the power of um being able to tell your own story and what that can mean for someone yeah that all makes a lot of sense. I also think that, like, I'm really drawn to storytelling, which I think is part of why I find this book just be so good. I don't know if I'm drawn to, like, reading memoirs. I find them to be kind of exhausting and a little, like, self-aggrandizing, but, like, this is the kind of, like, memoir that I, like, like to read partially because like you are really getting like a an understanding of her psyche through it yeah um I also like I think we get a really good understanding of like where June is at like emotionally and like how much she is compartmentalizing her new life and her old life by like does she ever use her daughter's name or does she just call her like her? I don't think she ever uses her daughter's name. No. Yeah. I, maybe it's interesting that like she doesn't name her mother and she doesn't name her daughter ever mm-hmm. by their yeah. first name. Um, She like names her husband by name and she names Moira by name, partially because I think Moira is in Gilead with her. But like, this woman is compartmentalizing, like, right. yeah, little boxes that everything gets stuffed in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, she compartmentalizing so much that like when she's like when she's fully like living the present, like lights are lights are on, nobody's home. She empty, and I I think she talks about like when she's having doing the ritual with the commander. She's like, she's like, yeah, I just like left my body, like. Like, I wasn't in there. Thank God! Yeah, and I was like, girl, I know about that. Like, I do that in sex, too. (laughs) Yeah, I... Oh, I'm thinking about you calling it the ritual. Uh, It, like... They did make sex as sexless as possible in Gilead. Right. But, like, oh my God... Also, it's, it's so interesting that they have Jezebels. I've been thinking about this. Like, like the idea that, like, boys will be boys still existing. And, like, right. like Offred often thinking about, like, 
oh, well, in, like, two decades, like, none of the women who are handmaids or, like, are, like, whatever the, like, little wives are, not the, not the commander's wives, but, like, the, like, the young wives, like, none of them are going to remember life before Gilead and there will be, like, no comprehension of what life was before Gilead okay then like why aren't we making the boys do that (laughs) like every to remember (laughs) every every new new young man is gonna get to like go to Jezebel's and like have sex with a hooker but like their like 15 year old wife like doesn't get to like read the word faith on a pillow (laughs) like (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It's like, really sad. <laughs> it, it's, oh, that's a lot for me. Um, Let's see. Other things that we wanted to talk about. Do you want to talk talk to me about um, gossiping as a historically feminine method of communication? Yes. Um, I listened to, a couple of months ago, I listened to a Binge-topia pod about the history of gossiping and how gossiping like became villainized as like a sin um because like like literally women were talking and men were like no 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 no, you guys can't talk like you're not allowed to talk (laughs) you guys gotta stop conversing because when women converse it causes problems um but like for, for a lot of history like the girls the girlies chatting um was a really, really valuable way for them to, like, survive and advocate for themselves because, like, that was the only, I mean, it's not like they're gonna, like, grab a sword and, like, yeah, you know, like, they they can't do that, like, historically. Um, mm-hmm. And so the best way for women for a really long time to, like, find information, advocate for themselves, protect themselves, protect their families is to gab and gossip and... I remember, like, I was just, as I was, like, looking over this book, um, in the first chapter, um, one of the things, like, literally on the second page, it says, um, she, like, June says, like, we learned, we learned how to whisper, we learned how to read words, um, like, we, or read lips, we were, like, like, sitting in this gymnasium where we're being, like, brainwashed, but the girlies will find a way to gab, you know, like, the, the girlies gotta talk, and, that I think is one of the reasons like like this book I think makes a really, really big deal about how the like women are not allowed to like read anymore. They're not allowed to write, they're not allowed to read. Um, they're not even really supposed to talk to each other like that much. Like the the handmaids are only allowed to talk to each other with like the jargon of, you know, like under his eye, like all that all that mm-hmm. trash. Um and that is something that like prevents them from colluding with each other. And when they start, when you start to get this kind of information about like the underground railroad for women, it's because the girl, like the girlies finally are able to talk and discuss and um, like freely share information on their own terms. And historically that was something that was like, people started to say like, like you shouldn't gossip like gossiping is bad because it was associated with um women who would talk about the people that they knew because that's how they would protect themselves i had never thought of gossip as like any form of feminine speaking i'm really 
I'm really pulling the wool off of my eyes right now because I, like, really... I grew up very Christian, and I, Mm -hmm. like, really spent a lot of time being like, I have to stop gossiping. Gossiping is bad. When I am gossiping, I'm hurting people. And, like, to a point, I do need, as, like, a person, I am working on talking about others less. Because I do think that it, like, can be damaging to friendships. But, like, I had never thought of it in the perspective of, like personal safety and like in my head the word gossip has like a negative connotation right you like feel dirty even like thinking like oh I was gossiping about someone like but like are you gossiping or are you just talking about somebody that you know like what else are you gonna talk about (laughs) yeah that like I'm sharing the news I'm telling you the news news. you're telling me the news not everybody wants to talk like I were like the the binchies were like like what are you like it's so stupid to think like or the, or the wait, what's the the quote that's like like basic people talk about like other people like intelligent people talk about ideas it's like you mean I can't talk about other people and ideas at the same time like I don't always want to talk about postmodernism <laughs> like, like I'm not, I'm not gonna be like. With the girls having a glass of wine talking about Picasso, like, I'm talking about, like, who got bent over yesterday. Like, that's way more interesting, just objectively. Like, <laughs> like yeah, that is way more interesting. And, like, also, like, to think of, like, oh, they are trying to get women to talk less. And I know. I... <laughs> I think that it's interesting and maybe a little bit insidious that, like, you don't really notice that the women aren't talking. Like, you notice that they're not allowed to read. You notice that they're not allowed to write. But, like, in terms of just, like, silencing women, you're, like, like, to me, like, I understand that the first thing that goes in, like, moving into fascism is, like, well, one, it's a lack of trust in the independent judiciary. But also... It's (laughs) She said history minor girl Oh my god actually no Jess taught me that we were walking to campus One day and she was like I was listening to this Podcast on Argentina and then told me all About it but Also like It's it's book burning It's like getting rid of ideas that Like the fascist party doesn't agree with But like Like people fall silent on their own under fascism or it's beaten out of them. But like to get rid of all reading and writing, I think feels like very obviously insidious and a lack of being able to speak safely to one another. I think to me, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's that's just fascism. Right. Yeah. Instead of being like a right has been taken from you, but like everyone like has the right to like speak and like be spoken to and like mm-hmm. talk about ideas and that sort of thing. So right, and it's not even just like that they're not allowed to talk to each other. It's like the language that they're permitted to use at all is very very limited, and it's defined by the state. And um, uh, like last year, I read this book called Cultish. Um, and it's all about how cults and, like, um, organizations use language to manipulate their followers. Um, and how, like, specifically using, like, really, um, I don't know, like, 
using really like vague terminology that you only know like if you are like in in an in group of a community is a really really powerful tool because it isolates you from other people because you're literally like speaking in a language that other people can't understand so in a, like in a way they're not just like stopping the girlies from gossiping and talking about their lives and you know sharing political information about the underground and all that stuff there so it's not just literally the prevention of the spread of ideas they're preventing they're isolating these individuals in society because they literally are not allowed to communicate any ideas in terms like the the ideas that they're experiencing like don't exist in the language that they're allowed to speak in if that makes sense yes that makes sense and if if that if that idea goes far enough um like if that you know, if we're passing on to subsequent generations, people who are only taught this, like, cultish and very, like, specific way of talking, like, um, there's, like, a school of thought in, like, linguistics that, like, you are even, like, limited in your capacity to, like, form new ideas if the language that you, you're using is, like, so restrictive because you just, like, can't, like, you can't express the idea. You don't have the language for it. You would have to, like, make up new words. Oh. <sighs> Which is crazy, crazy. And that's part of the reason why, like, in fascism and in all of these, like, extreme dictatorships, language becomes, and in cults, language becomes so, so important because they're trying to control the way that you think. And that is my favorite part of this book. (laughs) That's why I love this book. Because Margaret was really doing it to him and being so smart. Yes. Margaret was like, I know that, like, sexual slavery is bad, but what if we talk about, like, the importance of language and the importance of storytelling for, like, individual liberty and, like, collective liberty? Well, and, like, the other thing is, is, like, this book is so heavy-handed in some ways that, like, if you are not thinking about it, you miss those subtleties, and then on, like, a second read, when you, like, get past the original horror... Mm-hmm. And, like, into the insidiousness of, like, other aspects. Like, this is such a layered read. Right, right. Because you can you can read it and just be like, wow, that was, like, really excellent torture porn. Which I think is how some people read it. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why some people don't like it. Is because, like, they, they're just looking at it as, like, like, wow, this is, like, a story of, like, this white woman who's being treated really, really poorly, you know? And that's fair, like, but there's a lot more to it than just, like, torture porn of this, like, white lady named June. (laughs) Who, that's such a good name. I am, like... I love that name. It it is a good name. I love a flower name. I love a, I love a month name. Yeah. Um... It's very so and feminine, you know. Yes, in without a way that being in this book gets bastardized. Yeah, and like we're not supposed to know her name. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. It's a little yes. off topic. Do you think that Margaret Atwood told the writers of The Handmaid's Tale that June's name was June, or do you think that they just like? Because she'd kind of met all the other handmaids that she, like, names in that first chapter by their original name. Like, do you think that we're, that the writers were just like, yeah, we're pretty sure she's June. 
I, don't, I can't remember how much, how involved Margaret Atwood was in the TV show. Because wasn't she a producer? I think she was. And frankly, from reading the Testaments, it seems like she's kind of all in on the Handmaid's Tale TV show. Yeah, I would say, I think she, probably she did. But I think 20 years ago, if they had tried to make a show about it, she probably would have been like, I don't know what her name is. Like, I think she sold out a little uh, bit. <laughs> I, she, oh, we'll talk about the sellout a little bit when we get to the, the, the Goodreads comments. Because I think the book is more complete if she is an unnamed narrator. Like, I, I think it makes more sense as an artistic decision. The Handmaid's Tale. Like, yeah. not, um, I also, I'm looking at my book cover right now and Margaret Atwood's name is bigger than the title of the book. That is funny. I'm looking at that too now. Like, I don't know if that's true. I I wonder what the... Here, I'm going to Google. Original cover of Handmaid's Tale. Oh my gosh. And while you're... Okay, I just... I was going to say this earlier, but I forgot. Another... Like, they can't even communicate to each other in body language because they've got these hats on. And the big dresses. The big red dresses. There's no, like, popping a hip out. There's no, like... You can't, you can't do any sort of, like, physical action either. Okay, so I think the last thing we have to talk about, just, like, in terms of book stuff, is the fact that I feel like I don't see people talk about how well this book is written in comparison to being like, oh my god, look at this trauma porn where we, Olivia, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> sentence that made me like sit sit back and think for a minute um I think they just like pull the easy pull from it which is the um the don't let the bastards get you down and the like bastardized latin whatever Mm -hmm. um and Lydia you said you have you've got quotes to share oh yes I have some of my favorites and I it's cute because I did I did a research paper on this in college and I still have shape 
I wish it were about love or about sudden realizations important to one's life, or even about sunsets, birds, rainstorms, or snow. And then I skip a little bit because I have it highlighted. I'm sorry there's so much pain in this story. I'm sorry it's in fragments, like a body caught in a crossfire or pulled apart by force. But there is nothing I can do to change it. I've tried to put some of the good things in as well. Flowers, for instance, because where would we be without them? Nevertheless, it hurts me to tell it over and over again. Once was enough. Wasn't once enough for me at the time. It's so sad. And it's so beautiful. It is. It's also, like... It's really special. Who who is she apologizing to? Because like, I know. did she she is apologizing to herself because she is telling this story to herself. We're supposed to understand. Um, I also think like, for me at least, after reading two Madeline Miller books last month, where everyone is like, the Song of Achilles is the most beautiful piece of modern fiction ever written. Like. Like, the Song of Achilles has some really beautiful moments in it, but, like, if we're going to talk about Madeline Miller, like, she is, like, one of the mothers of, like, writing modern romance, then we need to, like, look at our other books that we're reading and not just be like, oh, well, that one was depressing, so I didn't like it that much, but also say to ourselves, like, this is some of the most beautiful writing that you're going to read. song of Achilles but don't one of the things okay, <laughs> one of the things that I like about this book is that some things <laughs> I'm gonna euthanize this dog I'm gonna euthanize her Lydia they don't even euthanize the dogs in the handmaid's tale she's fine <laughs> she has one eyeball she's like Janine It's not poetic, but it is, like, so, it is, like, very basic and human, and just, like, generally, like, everyone, like, feeling the need to apologize for things that you don't need to apologize for, especially when you are, like, going through, like, a, like, really traumatic experience, like, apparently women will never lose that. Right, literally. I think it's almost more of a feat of your like powers as a writer if you can write like a really really simple sentence like that where you're like I'm sorry this story is so painful like if you can write that like such a gut-wrenching like I remember like the first time I read that sentence I remember I like wept it's so like gut-wrenching and it makes you feel so much for this person who like She's, she's not real, but, like, in that moment reading that sentence, that's so, like, it feels so, like, you feel so intimately close to that person, and it feels like something that, like, just, like, you, you, I mean, you can, like, hear, like, the human voice, like, saying it, and say, being able to, like, evoke that emotion with such simple words and such simple ideas is, like, the, that, to me, is, like, really, really powerful writing. 
And that's kind of like what, like, I mean, Ernest Hemingway was all about, like, writing really simple sentences with really simple language. And he did a good job of it, I guess. But <laughs> I feel like, like, that quote is such an, an excellent example of just, like, how how much you can do with so little. And she does have, you know, she had, there, there are passages in this, it, passages in this book and in her other books, books that are really poetic. Bukes, I said. <laughs> that are really, like, poetic and lyrical and really descriptive and flowery. But, and that's great, but that's not, like, to me what it's most, what it's, it's just, like, so, it's like a punch in the stomach, like, just saying, like, I'm really sorry that I have to tell you this story that's so full of pain and I wish that I could offer you more and I wish that I could be better in the story. But, like, this is what I have to give. That makes sense. I'm thinking about... I really like this book, I think, more than I like the show. Partially because they decided to make The Handmaid's Tale a show about female rage. Yeah. And, like, if you read this book, this book is not about female rage. Like, there are some portions that are about female rage, but, like, there's nothing girl boss about The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Yes. And to make it into good television, they had to make it more girl boss, but, like... The Handmaid's Tale is meant to be uncomfortable because of the truths that it presents you about the society that you're currently in and about the society that could be. Not so we could, like, see June run back into Gilead because she can't leave her daughter yet. Like... Right, she's gonna take the system down from the inside. And she's not. And she's not, and I don't well, I can't speak for everybody, but, like, one of the reasons why I love this book so much and the the TV show for me doesn't hit as hard is because she's, like, yeah, like, I'm a softie and, like, I just want to survive and, like, I can't take this down from the inside. Like, if I were in, like, like my instinct to survive and to, like, overcome, very small, very small. <laughs> like, I would, and so I would be, like on the on the binary of like girl bossing to like giving up and being sad i would be giving up and being sad and that is like what book june does that is not what tv show june does no tv show june becomes increasingly more and more and more self-destruction destructive in like a way that i think is like really antithetical to her character in the book right okay We will be skipping The Perfect Man this week because um, this is not the place to do it. There is no romantic love interest. Um, We will be doing... It's the anti-perfect man. Yeah. Like, if you guys thought Achilles and Theseus were bad, wait till you hear about Commander Fred. And, like, frankly, even Nick. So... Yeah, Nick is a nightmare. And even Luke is kind of a nightmare because he went before before Gilead happens. He's like, oh, babe, look at this beautiful. And, and he he did not. He just didn't. Um so we're gonna move right into Goodreads because there is also we will not be discussing any sex in this book. Nope. Um the cr- enough of that in real life. The crazy thing about this 
is that, like, oh, I guess we probably should have given a trigger warning, but we really haven't talked about the rape in this book at all because it is just so ever-present as, like, a cloud in comparison to, like, Greek myths where they'll just kind of, like, be like, oh, and Zeus raped this lady, but don't worry, he got Theseus out of it, or something like that. Right. Whereas this, it is, like, an ever-present, like, smog on the society. Um, okay, so the two quotes we have from Goodreads, um, one, people are out here writing book reports about The Handmaid's (laughs) Tale. I read, like, pages and pages and pages of quotes on Goodreads, trying to find good ones to pull out. And then also, I think a really good sign of people's misunderstanding of The Handmaid's Tale as a story is that... It's, one, listed as Handmaid's Tale number one because Margaret Adwood literally, like, 30 years later wrote the corporate sellout, The Testaments, where she, like, girl bosses back into Gilead, and it's, like, very messy and just, like, not very good. She turns, spoiler, spoiler alert for The Testaments, skip the next 30 seconds, she turns Aunt Lydia into a girl boss who's taking down Gilead from the inside. She does! <laughs> like, what the fuck? So and the other thing that tells you people did not understand The Handmaid's Tale and wanted it to be a feminist re- story was The Testaments is rated higher on Goodreads than The Handmaid's Tale is. <laughs> and The Handmaid's Tale is, like, better written, like, more interesting, I think matters more. Yeah. Marge, did the checks run out? She, I don't know. I don't, I, and part of me thinks that she did not even write that book. I don't think she wrote it. Or I think she hired someone to write it and she was like, this is going to make me millions of dollars. Slay. Yeah. Sign off. (sighs) Which is so interesting. Do you think that Margaret Atwood is anti-capitalist or do you think she's just a feminist? I would say I think she's an anti-capitalist, but hard to say. I don't know. Post, post, the Testaments was just so bad. I, like, I feel like I had to recreate my Margaret Atwood schema. Yeah. Like, in response to that book. But she definitely, I don't know. She really, she really don't be speaking on class struggle that much. No. She does a little bit in in this book. She does it a little bit with kind of, um, there's like different casts for for women. But she really, I think she's a, she's, if she is, she's the type of anti-capitalist that really only wants to talk about how the wealthy are rotten inside. But like, if you know what I mean, but not the type of anti-capitalist that is actually going to be like, let's talk about like, changes in their stories yeah yeah changes yeah. um like it's kind of like the um, the type of anti-capitalists that are like oh what's it uh like the white lotus anti-capitalists you know where it's like oh you're writing you're talking about how capitalism is bad but you're only centering the stories of like rich white people like that's a little something is not giving there totally yeah that makes sense 
Um, okay. Yeah, I didn't really find any, like, short, pithy comments. They were all, like, truly, like, pages long about The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I did read a lot of one-star reviews that seemed like they did like the book, but they were like, here's all the flaws I see. I also didn't see any, like, evangelicals being like, this book is being terrible to us. Can't believe you're saying things like this. Like, we would do something like that. This is radicalism. I didn't see any of that either. I did see, like, legitimate critique. Um, in the lower written reviews, which was interesting. Um, the first quote is, Not a very well-written book. The writing itself is clumsy. It doesn't feel like you're reading a story. It feels like you're reading a piece of writing. Good writers put their words together for a calculated effect, but Atwood's words aren't just calculated, they're contrived. In a good piece of writing, you shouldn't see the writer at all. You shouldn't see the structure of their writing. All you should see is the story. If you're seeing the deliberate cadence of a phrase or the use of repetition instead of its effect, then these style choices weren't done subtly enough. If you can see the writer's style through their words, then they're just not doing it right. I think Atwood very much falls into this trap. Her style lacks the subtlety required to tell a story like this. Let's see. Um, What I wrote underneath this was, hmm... Shoddy missed the point. Like, yeah. it's, you should see the writing. You should see the writing because June is writing it in her own head over and over and over again. Right. Yeah, and that's that's kind of, we've talked about this a lot, like, that's kind of the point, is that it's a, it's a story about stories. It's a story about someone who's telling a story over and over and over again. And I think this is probably a good case of somebody who, read the book and was like this is clearly a book that's saying that like like feminism is good um men are bad you know because it's like when you read the book it's so obvious that that is what margaret atwood is saying like it's very like hammered into the plot all of the like the metaphors are really heavy-handed the themes are really heavy like it's not a subtle book in that regard no and so if you're if you're reading it and looking just at that part of the book, like, yeah, I would say, like, the style's contrived. Um, it's obvious what she's doing. But, like, as we've talked about, there's so much more that's going on. And so, like, if you're only going to read it for the really, really obvious things that she's doing, then, like, yeah, you can say, like, not a very interesting book. But there are other things that are that's happening that are, like, very interesting. And I think this person is either j- didn't, didn't think that much about it or like hyper focused on the things about the book that are obvious yeah it's kind of like when you start reading something and like the first page kind of turns you off and then you're just like oh and then that's all you think about the rest of the time you're reading it oh we also didn't talk about this book is written in first person and i love first person narratives i I know you guys talked about that I love first-person narratives when they are written by a published author. First-person narratives in fan fiction, I think, are frustrating because, like, first of all, lots of fan fiction is written about uh, visual mediums. So, like, any fan fiction that is written about, like, a television show, I'm like, why are we using I here? Like, we have never... Yeah 
seeing the seeing this character in the first person and then also like oh it's just clumsy it's just clumsy and oftentimes yeah. it's like yeah. used in like self self insert fan fiction where it's like there's like i and then there's like i mm, mm, mm. i i cannot be reading self insert fan fiction it makes me want to die if there's a if there's a your name if there's a y slash n i'm like and we are moving to the next fic are you very quiet because you We're like to reading. read self insert fan fiction i am my i'm no well i'm quiet because you're breaking up a little bit with my wi-fi but um my i am my mm. worst and corniest self when i'm reading um your name is impatience <laughs> No! Oh, no. <laughs> My worst self. I, I can't do it. But only occasionally. Only when I'm really, really down bad <sighs> and haven't been touched in a really long time. <laughs> You're like, well, this will do the trick. And no one's being taken advantage of, so it's fine. A woman's gotta do what she's gotta do. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Next quote... This was, like, very split up. There were, like, lines and lines of spaces, so I will be pausing. And I'm saying that for myself a little bit so I don't edit all the pauses out later. Um, I'm not 100% sure what to think. Technically, not a lot is happening in this book. There's barely any progression in terms of plot. And TBH, I expected this to be way more intense than it actually was. But it was still so captivating. I didn't want to put it down. Their characters were all super interesting, and I really liked the writing style as well. So not a full five-star read, but definitely a book worth reading. That ending, though? Damn. Cruel. In a very good way. Wait, so are these all from the same person? No, these are from two different people. Um, gotcha. I think that she misses the point a little bit in terms of there being no progression in the terms of plot. We're, like, seeing Offred's everyday life. We're seeing what brought brought her here. We're seeing what brought June here. We're seeing the life she's living now. Um, I also wonder if the number of people who read this book after the television show came out when there is a lot happening in terms of plot, like, were disappointed by the lack of... By the lack of female rage and by the, like, the lack of, like, any sort of story moving forward. Like, we're we're essentially right. getting Offred's diary. So, of course, there is not plot moving it forward. If we wrote a diary of my life right now, it would it would be, I went to the grocery store. I went to work. I went home. I, like, saw my boyfriend. Like, that would be... Like, it, there wouldn't be plot. So, like... Right, right. I don't like when people say, like, nothing happens in the book. Because I think a lot of people say that when they're reading a book that is, like, written in a, in a, style, in a style of plot that most, most resembles the way that women's lives have been throughout history. Um... Like, people who are like, Jane Austen is boring because they just sit around and talk. Um, it's like, well, sorry, the girlies weren't going to war and murdering people. Like, they weren't really allowed to. Like, 
And if you, like, think that that type of story is boring or if you, like, need that type of, like, action, like, maybe you should think about the fact that, like, there's a reason why those stories are structured the way they are. It's not just because, like, women... I mean, women do love to sit inside and talk. That's one of my favorite things to do. But, like... Why do you think we love coffee shops so much? Yeah, like, if you think that that type of story is boring, maybe you should consider the fact that, like, it, it was very intentional that women's stories have been like that throughout, like, hundreds and hundreds of years of history. And that's how this book is written, too, is that it's not, like, a, it's not an epic of her fighting against the regime. Because, like, that's the the point of the book is that it's, like, just this just this woman who's, like, living in everyday life trying to survive in this, like, dystopia. Like, she's not, it's not supposed to be about her taking it down from the inside, which is obviously what the TV show is, and that's fine. But that wasn't the intention of the book. And if that's not your preference in reading, like, that's so fair, you know? But yeah. if that's not, a, that's not a failing of the book. It's just, like, that's the way the book is. That's the way it was written. I don't think I could read a large volume of books written with that purpose. Um, like, I love to read in Austin every once in a while. But I also, like... I I can't read a book where people sit and talk to each other or sit and don't talk to each other over and over again. I, like, have to... I gotta have some stuff that's got a little bit of punchiness every once in a while, but it doesn't mean that I, I'm, like, unable to recognize the... Like, unable to recognize the merits of, like, and the importance of reading books like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's why I don't make Goodreads comments, is because I don't ever want to say anything that people, like, pick apart and then are like, maybe you just should, like, learn to read things better. (laughs) It's like, I don't like to, I don't want to leave a Goodreads comment because I don't want to hose dissecting it later on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're going to move into the last two questions. Um, the, the classic, was this book good? Did it make you feel good? Did it make you do both? Did it, did it do neither? Where are you at with The Handmaid's Tale? Um, does not make me feel good. Uh, if this book, if reading this book made you feel good, uh, figure that out. Um, but I think it's a good book. I think it's not a perfect book. Um... And I don't think that people should read it as their only, like, if you're, if this is the only book that you are reading for, like, your understanding of feminist literature, like, you should explore other books. But I I think it's a good book. I think the ways that it is imperfect, like, contribute to the way that it is interesting and meaningful. Do you think, I want to go back to the definition of feminist literature, is any book centered around women that isn't like a a harlequin romance is that inherently feminist literature like is austin feminist literature because of what austin was doing at the time or does it have to be like within our modern understanding of feminist for it to be feminist lit bro i don't know i just got here (laughs) (laughs) okay i'll let you think about it that's a good question um I think it depends who you're asking, probably. 
for me, I think, like, if it is a story that shows women as human beings and is a story that is saying, like, women should be treated like equal human beings, then I would say that it's at least in a very basic way feminist literature. Okay. Um, I also thought this book was good. This is the second time I've read it. No, it did not make me feel good. Um, but, like, books don't, books don't have to make you feel good for them to, like, be good books that you want to revisit. Um, exactly. Which I think is something Book Talk struggles with, is they're, like, if this book is not creating, like, feelings of peace, love, and joy towards specific characters, like, it's not something worth reading, but, like, it is worth reading things that, like, upset you and make you think and, like... Like, this is a special book. Like, things that stick yeah. around, like The Handmaid's Tale, have not just for shock value, but because of things like June talking about how, like, we will always have flowers. Like, what would we do without them? Like, me too, June. What would we do without them? That um, is specifically a Tucker. <laughs> what would Tucker would do without the flowers? What would I do? Um. Oh, my cat's breaking into my room right now. Oh, my God. He went to the vet this morning, and he screamed the whole time, and he... Like, really didn't like the car ride. Um, he's fighting back now. He's fighting Mike back now, ruining the podcast. Um, <laughs> um, you already did. It's okay. No, no. You did not ruin the podcast. You didn't. My Wi-Fi going out just made it messy. That's all. Um, okay. You own a copy. I own a copy. I bought mine not for class. I think you would probably own it if yeah. you had not had to read it for a class. Um, yeah. This is a book I think that people should own. I think they should have the reminder of what it was like to read it. I think that they should have the opportunity to reread it without, like, having to jump through hoops to get it from the library or anything like that. Tell us about your Handmaid's Tale tattoo. When did you get it? I got it when I was a freshman in college. Um which if you're updated or if you're in the know about Lydia Lore, um, it was a very, very tumultuous time for me. Um, and I feel like it's one of my cringiest tattoos. Um, but I also still love it. And I like, I don't regret it at all. Yeah, I got it. I got it when I was a freshman. It's perhaps my cringiest tattoo, but I still love it. And I still have a lot of tenderness for it. Um, I got it because I was, um, because frankly, because men were being mean to me. <laughs> and I was, but I was also being really mean to myself. And I wanted to, like, I got it as, like, a manifestation or, like, a reminder that um, I shouldn't let other people be mean to me. Or, or like, I, like... Other people's, it's not about letting someone be mean to you. It's uh, other people's treatment of me doesn't define who I am, but also that, um, like, I should not let the ways that I'm mean to myself um, define me. Because at that time, I was being very mean to myself. Um, but now I'm never mean to myself, and men are never mean to me, and I have... Um, I don't have any negative experiences anymore, ever. So. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Margaret Atwood. 
And what does what does the tattoo say? Oh, it's just it's the uh, don't let the bastards grind you down. Malita te bastardes carborundorum. Perfect. I one of us was gonna have to say it on the podcast, and I wasn't gonna be me. Well, I have it tattooed on me, so I should be able to say it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We should tell that to all the white women getting like calligraphy, like pork chop tattooed (laughs) Japanese. Yeah. Um. Okay, guys, that's the pod. Uh, Final things. Uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, it's at English Majors Pod. The Twitter has no I in it, because English Majors Pod was too long. If you want to talk to us about The Handmaid's Tale, um, if you want to hear more about, um, feminist lit, send us an email at EnglishMajorsPod at gmail.com. Uh, Bailey is going to continue running the Instagram because I had to delete Instagram until I'm done with school because I am too stupid to not get addicted to it. My little rat brain is like, oh, just scroll. You you just read 10 pages of The Handmaid's Tale. You can just keep scrolling now. Go scroll. Oh my god. I literally, I'm so addicted. Um, Next week, if you are reading along, we will be reading The Power by Naomi Alderman. Um, And that's, that's it. I think that's all we have to do. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.